Hello and welcome to Juice with Jaggi. My name is Ankit and this is a show where I talk to people with unconventional professions and find out how they got there. For today's episode, I have someone whose profession sounds like he studied both computer science and law at the same time. He's working as a developer advocate at Postman, which is an API development platform, and one of the main reasons I chose him for the first episode was because simply I work with him. So please welcome Kostav Das Modak. Kostav say hi. Hi. So Kostav jumping straight into it developer advocate who is a developer advocate uh, so one way of putting it is it's someone who is probably a developer not necessarily a developer but they think of them as a bridge between the community outside and the company inside so someone who's uh, battling for the developer community to the company that they represent as well as battling for the company to the developer community that they are part of. So it's someone as a bridge in between. Now the developer advocate term is one of uh, the different variants of this profession. So you would hear developer evangelist as the more common format. Uh, there are also people who go with different developers something. You will also find developer unicorns. Oh. So uh, that's there. Uh, but which one do you prefer? I kind of prefer developer advocate because it's pretty correct uh, to what I actually do, which I, as I said, it's advocating for developers to the company and advocating for the company to the developers. So uh, the advocacy part here, which is where the law part comes in, uh, I should clarify that I do, do not have a degree in law and I will not <laughs> help people with their any kind of legal problems. So I am not a lawyer, should be part of the business card. Right, but I'm sure you get this a lot. I mean, there there would be people just coming up to you, learning about the profession or the, the job title that you have, and asking you if you have a law degree or not. Yeah, that actually happened in a conference I was in last week. Uh, I give my card to someone who was at our booth, and they say that. So, what was the last litigation you fought? <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't. They're like, so what do you do? So I just talk to people. I just talk to people. So you don't really go to the court. So you are more like a freelance lawyer? Is it freelance was lawyer? No. So that comes up a lot. Uh, the concern is that typically when we say advocates, we always think courts. But uh, when we talk of advocacy in terms of someone who is advocating for a cause, we always call them activists. But then we often talk that they are very much advocating a certain principle. So this is where the uh, term ad- advocate comes from. Right. So, I mean, being a developer advocate in, let's say, today's tech industry, like I said, is quite unconventional. You don't find people, a lot of people who've kind of uh, are developer evangelists or developer advocate. So, how did you end up getting into this profession? So, it, it is actually a pretty niche part of uh, the whole software industry. So, you would actually find developer advocacy or developer evangelism in its forms mostly in software companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now uh, it's kind of getting widespread to any part which has something to do with people building something else with the tools that are being given. So you would find any API related companies or you would find any software companies which uh, maybe people use to build something else. So mostly in B2B processes is where this becomes very prominent. Mm-hmm. But in some cases uh, you're looking at B2C companies which also uh, work in these format because it is, in some cases, an extension of uh, very focused marketing. And when I say focused marketing, it's not necessarily one-to-one, but something that 
if marketing takes a message and amplifies it 100x, the developer advocacy or developer relations as the larger role is called, it will take a message and make it in a way that it helps others solve their problems. That okay. is something that you can call as the primary difference. So uh, some companies do treat it as part of their marketing. In fact, even in Postman, just before I joined, it was part of marketing. But now this is treated as a, a separate uh, team in itself because of the requirements that Postman has in terms of the developer community. But some companies still treat it as part of marketing or sales, and some are not clear where this would fit in. Right. So back to the question <laughs> that why did I choose this? Is this this is one of the intersectional roles that you would find in tech because this needs you to have a very good technical background. Uh, so it, it means that you are not just talking of being able to code, but you're talking of domain knowledge in the product of the company you're presenting. So you either have the knowledge or you gather it as part of uh, being employed there. Uh, the second thing is this is a lot of uh, it, it, it has a lot of educational aspect to it and that was the primary reason why I chose it because one of the things I wanted to be as a kid was a teacher okay. and uh, then I figured that okay I mean, for me to be a teacher I would not want to teach really in high school because I want something more specific mm -hmm. I would not want to teach really in a college because that will be probably too specific right. um, so what's the kind of balance in between and I have always been the person who loves sharing what they know with others not for really any monetary reasons but just I love when I manage to make someone else understand something, something that I know. So it's not necessarily making them better, but it's just sharing what I have. And this kind of this role gives me the perfect opportunity to learn something new and share it with others so that it helps them better. So that is my primary motivation and has always been my primary motivation in choosing this role. Right. That, that, that's great. Uh, so in terms of education, in terms of experience, what, what exactly is your background? Uh, in terms of education, I had a very funny educational background, uh, mostly because some of uh, things which did not go according to plan when I was in high school. So I ended up taking philosophy as my graduation, as an undergrad oh. course. Uh, uh, it was more because I got the philosophy in the first list. I didn't want to be in a waiting list and get in. So that was in Jadavpur University. Uh, but. Uh, I always love the subject. I have always studied philosophy separately. So when I got a chance to study technically, uh, I had two interesting aspects coming out. One, people who knew me as a philosophy student, they would ask, but how computer science? Right. And people who knew me from uh, my consulting or tech background, they would ask, but why philosophy? Uh, the interesting thing is that helped me a lot in clarifying uh, certain aspects in which I would talk or certain ways of thinking. Uh, but uh, due to foreseen circumstances, not unforeseen really, I did not complete the course and I dropped in the sixth semester. Okay. Which uh, the only regret I have is that I should have dropped earlier. <laughs> I, I, uh, I still probably kept through it because I had access to a very good library. Mm -hmm. uh, I still study a lot, but it was just that uh, I did not find it worth my time and hassle to go through the degree where you had to write exactly what the teacher wanted you to write in a topic like philosophy. So uh, no, that's always been there. And then I tried to do uh, BSc in IT from a distance education. That was 2008. 
and one of the courses there was HTML, right. and the teacher showed font tags as the de facto way of coloring fonts. And I was like, okay, now uh, I'm actually building websites which are accessible and all. I used to talk <laughs> about accessibility, web accessibility a lot. So not the kind of thing that I want to do. So um, I have this unique distinction of dropping out twice from colleges, which I won't wow. recommend others to do. It's not cool. It's a very wow. difficult thing to do. And it's something that you have to have real strong conviction about what you want to do in your career. So uh, then it has been kind of... Uh, through a lot of learning and writing, meeting certain people. And I think I have been one of the few fortunate enough who uh, found a career option which they really love and it resonates with what they want to do. So I think it was a bit of, uh, I would say, coincidence as well as the interest in doing different things, especially in an intersectional role that got me here. So like you mentioned that you thought about dropping a bit earlier, right? Uh, is this something related to what kind of colleges or the kind of education that we have in the country? Yeah, absolutely. And it is also related to the way the education is imparted because it's uh, that, you know, as someone who is uh, 16, 17 looking at uh, one of the colleges which is uh, treated as the elite of the elites in when it comes to these kind of subjects. Yeah. Uh, you have a certain mindset, but uh, and you are used to the schools as well, where it's all you just mark it up and publish. And even in school, I was kind of a rebel in that sense. I would be like, I will not write what you want me to write, but you would really want, I would really want you to put a mark and tell me where I'm wrong. Because if I'm wrong, I want to correct myself. True. But if there is no way that you can prove that I am wrong, then I would accept that I am just, uh, you know, something. I have said something that is kind of all right-ish. So, uh, when it comes to college, I think the emphasis on grades, the emphasis on exams, and the emphasis on uh, just the degrees is too high compared to the actual things that you learn and the education that you receive. And I would really have it the other way around. Uh, just to kind of give in context, a friend of mine just went to Australia for doing masters in medical, uh, as in peripherals of medical, I don't remember exactly what. Uh, so what she said is that they really don't have any exams, but they are evaluated throughout the course mm -hmm. on how they are collaborating, so it's in public health service, uh, right. how they are collaborating, are they volunteering at certain uh, places, are uh, they really taking a few of the other courses that, they, that might help them in their class, and all the tested on is the thesis that they write. Mm -hmm. So it's a thesis that you have to put in every year and the beautiful part of that is actually build the thesis all over the year. So essentially your exam, if you want to take it as an exam, is all over the year. Mm -hmm. And you have your professors and your peers helping you out with that. So you actually learn collaboratively. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what I miss, at least in what I have seen of the education system, that is what I miss here. And that is what I would really like to have. Uh, now, there may be, and I think there are institutions which uh, handle education like that, but at least in the mainstream, I haven't seen much of that. So, be, being a developer advocate or being, being let's say, the tech industry mainly, it's, it's mainly considered to be an industry where you face challenges each and every single day, right? And being a part of such a niche, niche profession that you are, uh, what kind of challenges do you, do you face each and every day or, let's say, in the long run? I think the 
biggest challenges for people to understand the importance of the work uh, because uh, if we ignore the jokes about advocate here, right. uh, if we are talking about developer relations, uh, I have been in companies where you are not taken seriously as a developer, you are not taken seriously as a marketing person, you are not taken seriously as a business process person, you are not taken seriously as someone who is building a community. So it's like you are somewhere in between, you are not here, uh, neither here nor there uh, kind of a situation. So. One of the most frequent challenges I would say is people asking, so I understand you are in DevRel, which is the acronym for developer relations, but what do you actually do? Yeah. And uh, I mean, of course I have an answer and the answer really varies from the current company goals to what kind of company you are in, what is your target audience, what kind of product are you building and selling. It depends a lot on that. Uh, but if you go and tell someone that I am a software developer, People are like, okay, they don't even ask you what language do you code in, what kind of uh, things do you build, are you working on something specific, software developer, fine. I'm an engineer, fine, they don't even ask you what engineer you are. Yeah, but you go and tell that I work in developer relations, at first it's like, what exactly is that? And even after you explain that, you know, I help uh, build these kind of processes, it's a very organized role and it helps uh, organizations reach out to a very targeted audience and it's a bridge between internally it's a bridge between all the different kinds of roles in the organization especially when it comes to knowledge sharing uh, even then the question about the relative uh, importance of the role is one of the biggest challenges so if you want to bubble it down is that you're not taken serious enough hmm. is one of the biggest challenges of this role okay in terms of the future of the tech industry, if I talk about that, uh, we have corporates that have been there for I mean, plenty of years. We have startups that are coming up, mainly after the startup boom in India that happened, uh, mainly starting off with Slipkart. Right? Uh, what, what kind of future do you think that the tech industry holds in India? So the future of tech industry in India, I think it's going to be pretty multifaceted. If you look at uh, the way the wave of Indian startups have come up, it's been pretty much around a theme per year. So if you look at 2014 was the year of food startups, 2015 was the year of uh, blockchain-ish AI startups, yeah. 2016 again became logistics because the food startups were maturing and they didn't have enough logistics. Yeah. Uh, 2017 was when a lot of machine learning things started uh, cropping up. 2018, interestingly, has been a mix of people who are doing logistics, applying ML to logistics, or uh, so you, you get people who are in this intersectional role, or you get a wider variety. Now, the thing that we have in India is a lot of people, mm -hmm. which on one end can be a problem, but if you are uh, spreading the education and the awareness wider, what you have that other countries don't usually have, maybe apart from China and Brazil, is you have a very uh, uh, very versatile and what's the word for it? Very diverse uh, work uh, force, as in a very diverse workforce. Yeah, and the result of that is as people start uh, implementing and getting interested in trying more cutting edge things, the kind of thing that you see in Silicon Valley as many startups trying many different things, even though there are 
common themes every year and they come and go. Uh, I think the future of tech industry in India is one where there are much diversity in the uh, type of things being done and India moving from a service economy to a product oriented economy is probably the first transition that you are already seeing. So people who are building their own products are managing their own platforms and not just uh, being a startup which just does things for others offshore. Mm -hmm. And Postman, one of the prime examples of that I would say at this point. So diversity as well as different topics and then there are certain uh, socio-cultural, political and economic issues that are unique to a country that is as large and diverse as India. Mm -hmm. So you would often see much regional startups coming up more and more. And it's not that we don't have them now. Uh, it's uh, largely in a very disorganized uh, state. So I'm not talking in terms of tech, I'm talking in terms of every other industry. Because if you look at all the Kirana stores that you have, especially people who manage more than two stores, right. you would say if they you know, brand themselves like that, you might call them startups. Someone who's selling clothing across maybe three cities and they have their specialty formats. And they have always been there. Uh, so I would say that on one end, you would see more diverse companies coming up. On another end, you would see more focused, localized companies come up. Kind of segueing back into what we were talking about earlier as to what your background is in terms of education experience. Uh, and like you mentioned that you are kind of a double dropout. Right? You dropped out of philosophy, you dropped out of BSc that you're doing. Uh, normally when it comes to the Indian society, dropouts are considered to be sort of failures which they aren't. Right? Uh, Indian society kind of treats them in such a way that being, being a dropout is bad. Uh, and everybody should just go towards these conventional sort of professions. Uh, you can become a, you should become a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, and that's it. That's the end of the world for, let's say, each person. And I mean, even right now, <laughs> I feel like this, this is a very common joke that as soon as a baby is born, may a better doctor banega, may a better engineer banega, right? Which clearly translates to that I want my son or my daughter to be a doctor and engineer, right? Uh, at this point in time, when uh, I mean, India clearly needs a reform in terms of how people uh, kind of uh, what's the what the word here uh, treat. I, I wouldn't say treat, but look at uh, let's say especially dropouts or people who are pursuing who are pursuing unconventional professions. What is your take on that? I mean, how should, let's say, the society change or how should uh, India look at people who are just following their dreams or just trying to do things that they love instead of following or instead of becoming an engineer? So my take on this is slightly uh, wider in the sense that I think the problem is not really with specifically with treating how someone who's dropped out uh, is looked at, but the problem is with people not being okay with failing and people not being okay with accepting that certain paths they took might lead to a blocker and they would want, instead of struggling there and pushing on and on and getting bored for the rest of your life, they might try to seek out another path and uh, try to move on. So what I did was I tried different routes and for whichever reason uh, they did not work out and what I tried to do was not waste rest of my life on it but try to see if there are alternative things that I can do. Now, this is not something that is very uh, apparent to people and that is where 
this is firstly seen as a failure that okay you tried to get a degree you could not fail yeah you tried to get another degree you could not you failed but my psychology behind it was that this did not work out for me so i will go ahead and choose something else and that is something that i uh, also put in my daily life that uh, for example you build you bring a very expensive furniture home it looked very good in the store but when you get it home it did not really fit in with the rest so do you keep it there hmm. or do you try to sell it even if you have some loss and get something that fits in there now the majority of uh, the indian culture would keep it there try to repaint it maybe to something else try to sit there and do something but i would rather have it sold or if not sold even if it's a big loss i would just keep it outside my house for someone to take it away but i would get something that fits my house so i prefer experimenting learn and learning from my failures and improving on them which is an iterative approach to life rather than as i said when this fellow is born someone levels them as engineer now what if they want to be now this has happened to a friend of mine uh their parents wanted them to be an engineer okay now he loved architecture so he became a civil engineer right he's tried he studied uh architecture and he wanted to go towards urban planning now to his parents that was not engineering they were like beta computers uh, engineer one like i don't want uh so even when people say engineers or lawyers now when someone says lawyers maybe they mean criminal lawyers because well that is very on the most yeah uh, but maybe this fellow doesn't want to be criminal lawyer maybe they want to be in policies uh making policies and all which is a very important part of law and often ignored because doesn't pay that much yeah uh so i i have seen this happen and these have often been the reason of families drifting apart mm-hmm. and uh, kind of breaking off but i think at the core of it is people not accepting that life is an iterative process instead of setting a straight path and just going through it hammering in every day uh, if it doesn't work out for you move on and you see the same stigma in relationships if your relationship doesn't work you are just treated okay like something went wrong now no relationships for me but maybe there was something wrong in this which did not work so explore try out others and see what happens So apart from the failure aspect of it another uh, flip side of the coin is being a dropout is often seen as cool where well, Steve Jobs dropped out and then he built so many things Zuckerberg. so many other people dropped yeah. out Zuckerberg dropped out so my first thing is please do not equate any form of success with the fact that you dropped out uh, or someone dropped out you also need to look at the whole picture unfortunately when we read success stories that's all we read we don't often read the hardships or the failure stories or the failures that led to the success stories and i think those need to be emphasized more because for me dropping out wasn't a cool decision mm-hmm. it had a lot of factors that i had to think through especially if i don't get this degree if i don't even have a bachelor's which i don't have and at least back in 2008 9 Uh, I dropped out in 2011 though. So yeah. uh back then every other job I could find in India had a graduation degree must. And they didn't care which discipline you had. Right. And all they cared about is that you have at least gone through college. And with valid reasons according to them that you have at least gone through a certain form of education. Now for me it was like figuring out okay if I don't get this degree then I would not get these jobs and how would I Oh, sorry then how would i manage myself financially 
what kind of jobs can i do can i just carry on consulting for the rest of my life wouldn't it be boring but at least for the foreseeable future can just consulting or can uh, this specific job help me also it was a lot of explaining my family around, around why i decided to drop out because this was the question i got that just one more semester yeah. uh, why don't you just go through it the point is for me i had five pending papers right. in the fifth semester so my calculation was pretty straightforward that to complete these i would take at least a year and a half which means two years from the time i was deciding that i would drop out and in those two years if i studied something by myself maybe i could learn more and earn more by the end of two years which luckily was the thing when i was at the end of two years my people were still earning about 5 to 10000 in their internships i was earning way more than them which helps but it comes with the added baggage that for the rest of your life you kind of have this stamp on you yeah. and also realize that uh, the bureaucracy around us hasn't really changed even if people's opinions especially in the tech industry might have changed so when you apply for a visa or a long term stay in some other country you have to really fight hard to show that why you dropped out because uh, for example one real practical example is if you're applying for a uh, citizenship or one of those passes for uh, entrepreneurs in singapore yeah you get different levels of passes depending on your educational qualification So if you are a PhD you have a very high chance of getting the thing because you're then looking for skilled labor and the term skilled labor is so skewed because how do you gather skill is not asked or how did you gather the skill so be aware that when you are talking of dropping out and you think that it's fancy it's not hmm. coming to the most important question of the podcast cost of dasmodha what is your favorite juice mango with soda interesting choice Is it something that I drink? Uh, it's something that I like to make regularly. But uh, is your question specifically about non-alcoholic juices? Uh, it's totally up to you. So, if it's non-alcoholic, I, it would be mango with soda. If it is alcoholic, it would be mango with vodka. Interesting. And soda maybe. For someone who is listening to the podcast, or someone who isn't, uh, if people want to get into developing a developer uh, advocate or getting into developer relations. Uh, what is the let's say the skill set that you feel should be there, or what what kind of curiosity should be there in that person in order to make him go towards being a developer advocate? I would say the first most important skill is how good a listener are you, because a big part of this discipline is about listening to others, hearing out, and empathizing with uh, the things people are trying to say and do. and not coming to a judgment right away that eh, stupid people it's like if you can keep that out that is you don't form your opinions before you have heard out the people you're talking to that's first the second is learning from that uh, and sharing so you have to be opinionated to a certain point because in this role you cannot afford to not have opinions right if you don't have an opinion the problem is you don't have a standpoint and at some point you want to tell people what is your view of things not necessarily the company's view now it's best when your views and the company's views more or less uh, intersect which in my case it pretty much intersects with what postman is trying to do yeah. but uh, in either case i would say the 
opinion part of it, which kind of bubbles up to the fact that you have to have a very strong individuality. So listening, learning, and having very clear ideas. And when I say opinions, I'm not just saying that if not this, then I won't work. It's more like I have learned through these, these things and I have done so many things and this is my take on a certain thing. So uh, for, when I say opinions, I mean data-backed opinions. Mm-hmm. So big emphasis on data. That uh, Are you very much data-oriented in your day-to-day life? Because one of the principles of this role is it's very vague. Unless you have very strong processes and data back to it. This is an abstract role. Mm-hmm. You are in a place where you are trying to bridge multiple disciplines. So like I give the example of the corporate versus startup. Right. It was probably overly pessimistic, but the reason corporates have those silos is when you have too many people, you cannot have everyone talking to everyone. It's the standard problem of a message bus. Yeah. You don't want every uh, component to talk to every other component. So you build set processes. And the reason I am told to talk to marketing instead of going to code is because they are busy doing things. So in that case, if I said that, okay, no one talked to me, so I'm unhappy, that's not a right thing to have. As a DevRel person, what you should instead try to do is be the bridge so that you help in building that process, mm-hmm. that how does information flow from, say, marketing to uh, core engineering or to sales or to any other discipline, there, as in any other role that you have, so that someone does not need to go to the core engineering to get a certain aspect of information. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you are, as a developer relations guy, you are not just ingesting information, but you are helping build those processes around which people would communicate. So, that comes down to the part where I started, that listen. Uh, and one of the, you asked about life hacks, and this is another thing that I should mention. I have a three-second rule when I am talking to someone. The three-second rule is avoiding interruption, letting the other person speak. Wait for three seconds. Mm-hmm. If necessary, bite your tongue and don't talk because that silence might just give them time to clarify their questions. So that is one trick that I use to listen to things. And share. If you don't like sharing, if you are all like, oh, this is my work, I'm not going to share it with you. Crackers, Diwali season. So if, if you are not pro-sharing of any kind, you are going to have a tough time in this role because of, so if you are not pro-sharing, you are going to have a tough time in this role because a lot of it is about sharing what you have learned. And it's a lot about learning. Uh, each day you are hitting new frontiers around what you don't know. So instead of accepting that you don't know, you have, just be clear uh, that this is not something I know and it's okay say that I don't know something. So be humble and uh, be someone who loves reading upon new things and be open to sharing. As long as these three things are in place, I think you can, the rest is about the company, the processes, and just be curious about things. And do you think, if, if, if you talk about space specifically, it's a tangible skills, mm-hmm. you feel a degree is super important or it's necessary to be in your field? Now, I would say it's not super important, but definitely formal education has the benefit that you have learned through a certain discipline. Uh, There are upsides and downsides to that. The downside being you are often made to see through a narrow scope of the discipline that you have studied. And that becomes the lens through which you see the rest of the world. 
So I would encourage that, I would not say that do not get a degree, I would always say that if you are in formal education, please go ahead because we are still in a world where if you don't have a degree, you are automatically at the back of a queue when you are applying for jobs. That's changing slowly, yeah. but you would still face that difficulty. Now either you are okay with it and you try to work your way around it or you would uh, want to have some kind of degree. But to those who are pursuing education, I would say take up courses in humanities, especially if you are an engineer. Uh, if you are in humanities, take up courses in maths and other uh, sciences. Right. So expand your horizons. Uh, I would say that humanities is one of the key things that you would want to learn if you are in a role like this. And that could be, you, you could be going into any arts, you could be going to literature, you could be going into philosophy, psychology, there's so many different things that you can do, but each of them widen up your horizon, they change the way you think. So think about it as if going through, let's say, all you did was computer science, from maybe graduation to even have a PhD in that, yeah. and that was your narrow focus, you wouldn't look at the social impact of software that you are building. Or you wouldn't, you wouldn't be always capable of understanding that. So maybe if you are doing computer science, take up extra courses, whether they are electives and all, and focus on them. Uh, read up economics, do things. And the other important thing is, the degree is not everything that defines you, and don't make that happen. So you can say that I'm a computer software, uh, a computer science engineer, I'm not a computer software, <laughs> hopefully not. Yeah. Uh, but if you are a computer science engineer, don't let that be the only thing that defines you. Good. So this, this kind of brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, I would like to thank Costa for taking your time to uh, help me record this. Costa, thank you so much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that was Costa for you. I would also like to thank uh, Vivek. He was basically the sound engineer of the day and helped me uh, in recording. So if you feel that the recording is a bit off, uh, I just link him down in the description so that you can just rant directly at him on Twitter. Uh, apart from that, if you have any questions, uh, especially for Costa, if you have any doubts that you want to get cleared, I would suggest to please download the Anchor app. Uh, you can just directly send me voice messages there and Costa will uh, answer you directly uh, in, the app, in the app as well. Uh, apart from that, if you have any suggestions or feedback or any questions for me, you can do the exact same thing. Or I'll also link down my email and my Twitter and Costa's Twitter as well, uh, where you can just directly contact him. Till next time, this is Jackie signing off.